You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 76, and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. Well, it's Sunday and New Year's Day, and that can only mean that the first episode of 2023 is a Herp Science Sunday show with Dr. Alex Crone. And I want to wish all of you listening a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. I'm very happy to get one more show in before I head down to Peru in just a few days. So I guess this is uh, really a programming note. Um, This is a prolonged trip to Peru, actually. It's two trips back to back, and so I won't return home until almost the end of the month, which means the next So Much Pingle episode will drop the first week of February. But, as always, I will be bringing my mobile recording gear, and I should come back with some more content, uh, complete with the uh, screeching jungle birds as a backdrop. So before we get to the episode, I want to thank all of the show's patrons. You all make it possible for me to keep this entertainment channel rolling on into the future. And if you're out there listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks to help out, it's really easy to do, and I'll tell you all about it at the end of the show. So this edition of Herb Science Sunday centers on serpent genitalia. There was a paper published recently uh, concerning the discovery of hemiclitoris in snakes, and it made quite a splash across social media and beyond, and I believe Alex and I both got wind of it from a post made by Dr. Emily Taylor on social media, and we very nearly so simultaneously decided that we needed to talk to at least one of the co-authors of this paper, and soon, since so many people had been uh, interested in the discoveries outlined in the publication. So long story short, Alex and I had a lovely chat with co-author Megan Falwell just a few days ago, and then I rushed it through the production process to bring it to you today. You might notice that Australia is really representing on the show lately, And it's more by accident than design, but, you know, either way, I'm here for it. And actually, I'll have yet another Aussie episode to release in the coming weeks. But let's get to our conversation with Megan Falwell. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another segment of Herp Science Sunday. Once again, I'm here with Dr. Alex Crone. Hello, Alex. Hello. Glad to be back. Glad to have you. And we have a very special guest Uh, For this segment of Herb Science Sunday, welcome to the show, Megan Falwell. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So once again, and Alex, we seem to be following into a a pattern here of talking to people from Australia. (laughs) Um, But I have to tell you, I'm here for that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I like it. And uh, I think we're strengthening our herpetological bonds across the, the, from one side of the planet to the other, so... Uh, Megan, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and uh, giving up your part of your morning to talk with us. And uh, what are we talking about? We are talking about a, a paper that you co-authored recently in the Proceedings of the Royal Society. And the paper's title is First Evidence of Hemiclitoris in Snakes. And your co-authors are Kate Sanders, Patricia Brennan, and Jenna Crow-Ravel. I get that right? Yes, yeah. 
Okay, very good. Uh, so before we, you know, Alex and I have lots of questions. I can see Alex is sort of rubbing his hands together. He's ready to jump into this. Uh, but we, we want to get a little background on, on you. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're at academically and kind of how you ended up here uh, talking to us. Yeah. If you can, very briefly. <laughs> well, I'm a PhD candidate at the moment, um, and I've just started my, well, finishing up my second year of my PhD, so just done my two publications so far and just a few more to go to finish that one up, but keen to look more into this snake hemiclitoris and further into snake reproduction and genitalia. Um I initially got into all of this through like a passion of biology and reproductive biology, uh, mostly from reading my mum's textbook, midwifery textbooks when I was a kid. And then I went into more of a generalised animal science degree and started honours in snake reproduction and just kind of followed on from there. I'll just say that I also read textbooks as a kid growing up, so not midwifery ones, but other textbooks. So you're in good nerd hands here. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and to counterbalance all that, I read comic books <laughs> when I was a kid. So I'm I'm here to to keep things from getting out of out of hand <laughs> in terms of in layman's terms. Um, I think it's interesting that you talk about uh, the textbooks uh, f from your mom and the, uh, the midwifery. So uh, how could you not be interested in this? You, you, it sounds like you have a very uh, good grounding in the subject, and, and I'm sure your mom had many stories, and there was, there was lots of that experience uh, came home with her as you were growing up too. Oh, absolutely. Well, she was um, – she was – nursing uh head of nursing midwifery and accident emergency and then had us and she has this joke of she was a midwife and now she's a mad wife um so she, <laughs> she transferred over to raising us and all of that which was very beneficial for us because yeah it was a brilliant environment obviously to grow up in nice nice Okay. Uh and if you are at let me get this straight too you're you're at this the University of Adelaide, is that correct? Yeah. School of Biological Sciences. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this paper, and, and Alex, I'm going to turn you loose here in just a second, but this paper is, um, I want to say that when it, I first got wind of this, I think our, our, our friend uh, Dr. Emily Taylor posted something about it mm. on Twitter, and that caught my attention, and, and uh, was getting ready to email Alex and say, we should try to get one of these authors on, on Herb Science Sunday and, and Alex beat me to it and sent me an email saying, let's, let's do this if we can. So that this is why we're here today. We're very interested in talking about the subject. So totally this, you should be really proud of this paper. This paper was not only fascinating and super cool to read, but just got picked up by like, it seemed like every major media outlet on earth was, was reporting on it. It yeah. really, made the rounds on the internet that was it was really cool to see um yeah and i personally i love these kinds of papers where it's a novel a new discovery <clears throat> excuse me it's a new discovery that's kind of like waiting in plain sight but um 
it, it seems abundantly obvious in retrospect, but no one had the kind of brilliance to, to investigate it earlier. And I especially love when studies kind of challenges or sheds light on some of our unconscious biases, either as humans or as scientists. Like, I think this paper does all of that. And so it's cool on multiple levels. So congratulations again. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't believe how how much Wendigo, it was, it's fantastic. There's comics out there about it now and wow. students doing video uh projects about it and it's yeah just amazing i couldn't be happier with the result yeah um alex do you have a good jumping in point to to start talking about this or i, I had a i had a couple talking points but what, what how would you like to start we this can conversation? we can start it like the i don't think this paper will lead itself well to us going like okay here's the introduction and then the methods and then the result like <laughs> i think we can just kind of jump into it because it's a cool almost like a natural history or just kind of descriptive paper. Um, but for our audience are not um, scientists or, um, or morphologists or anything like that. And so for people who don't think about genitalia often, um, I was wondering if, if you could give some background as to why people study genitalia and the diversity of maybe weird genitalia that people might find fascinating um, in our audience. I know duck springs to mind, but I mean reptiles are pretty crazy too. I was wondering, yeah, if you could if you could tell us more about that. Did you just say ducks spring to mind? <laughs> yeah, if if people get that, then they're in the know. And yeah, all right, <laughs> nicely done. Thank you. Score one for Alex. <laughs> well, it's yeah. There's oh, heaps heaps of reasons to research into it. It gives us a really strong understanding of the complexity within their mating system, how they're mating, why they're doing it that way, their reproductive output, how productive they are. It it shows us that complexity and their behaviours, which is really important. Um, but genitalia are some of the most rapidly evolving traits. So we can get a really good idea of how important it is by how different it is across species, families, different animals, and we see that a lot. Um, and now we've seen that uh, other than some birds, it's been retained across so many amniotes, uh, well, animals, that it makes sense that it has such an important role in mating. So in snakes, at least, there's, we have, on the female side, we have the different uh shapes and sizes and where it's how it how pronounced it is whether it takes up the entire tail like the cantil viper or whether it's teeny tiny like in um some of the lapids and then you look over to the hemipenes and they have uh hooks and spines and all of these different characteristics to them that uh, are completely different across each species even within closely related species. But then you look over to, you know, other animals, like you have the what's been called the pseudopenis in uh, cheetahs. Cheetahs? Hyenas. Hyenas, thank you. In hyenas, um, which is actually just an elongated clitoris, but also vagina, it's interesting. So, like, they still, you know, give birth through that 
through that structure. Um, yeah, and it's it's just so variable across so many different animals. You know, you have the big aquatic mammals that Patricia Brennan has also looked into, so the dolphins and people have looked into the whales and and then you have, like, you know, duck genitals that, you know, also Patricia Brennan, that, that corkscrew spiral penis on ducks is just so much to learn from it. Yeah, and I we could get off in the weeds on the duck thing, but I'm pretty sure that's that's sort of an evolutionary race there too, isn't it? Yeah, um, there's yeah. a lot go- lot going on there with the natural selection and and the shape of of the the duck penis. Absolutely. Uh, I I I spent some time. <laughs> this is a first for me, but I, I you know Wikipedia has a, a big entry on on the clitoris, and it was interesting to to look over that and you know they describe that you know it's we all think of it as a human thing, but it it's like you say, it's across uh, m- most of the amni- amniotes they have it, some birds, but a few birds, but not all the birds, but mammals and uh, I think turtles, crocodiles and lizards and things like that. And of course now the uh, snakes, but, uh, but it's, it's just interesting to, and uh, it also goes on to describe, like you say, the, the, the strange, uh, configurations of of the clitoris across diff- various species, like bears, mm. it's part of the birth canal in bears, and there are some species that didn't say which that had actually there's a bone involved, which is kind of mm. interesting. Um, but uh, so just reading that entry alone, it, it was enough to uh, get me interested, in, you know, in the subject on a deeper level, and uh, and. I don't want to get back to this later, but I, I at some point I want to talk about the differences between uh, the clitoris, well, and the hemipenes too, in in lizards as opposed to snakes. So I'm going to benchmark that so we mm-hmm. can get back to that. So, so getting getting deeper into so like we talked about animal genitalia, and now we've narrowed in on like hemipenes and um, hemiclitorises. Um, Clitoris. Uh, well, never mind. We we just thought. Can you tell? Can you school us again on this pronunciation? Because I know I'm not the only one who does this. So, squamates have forked penises and also forked clitorises, which are called hemi. With and a single organ is called a hemi penis or a hemi clitoris. Is that true? And then when does what is the plural? Is the singular the forked organ and the plural is multiple forked organs? Or what would you, how would you refer to one lobe of that forked organ? So you have in both the males and the females, you have a double genital structure, which is that where the hemi comes in. So they're actually individually growing. Um, So uh, in the males, you have one hemi penis or in one animal you have both of the hemipenes. And then ah, in females ah. you have one side of the structure is the hemiclitoris, and then both of them together are the hemiclital res. So the difference is the ES at the end or IS for single. Thank you. Thank you. That's and okay. just to give us a little bit more background, do females have um, – hemivaginal openings as well, or are those singular um, and and not paired? So they've got one vagina, um, 
and it connects up with the digestive tract and as well as the uh, double overducts. So when you uh, – I did some silicone uh, molding and so you'll have three parts that will exit out of um, from the vagina, so two overducts and the um, digestive tract opening, but one vagina so far. Got it. I just thought of another question I didn't think of before. When you talk about e- each each lobe being a, a, its own entity, its own organ, maybe that's safe to say. Mm. So all these things are wired with with nerves, obviously, and, and you know blood vessels and everything. But do they both? Let's see. Does each side sort of come uh, together uh, in terms of uh, the nervous system, or do they go? You know, how does that work? Do they combine somewhere? Is is there a, a branch coming together that then goes to the brain, or? So that's exactly what we want to look into next. Um, so oh. far, I've done the preliminary work. I've, I've shown that uh, from the Barsosowski stain that there are nerves present throughout the structure, um, but that was just one slice. So I need to do um, – I'd like to do full neural analysis through the whole structure and ideally map that neural network to see where it's going, how dense the nerves are, and start leaning towards um, – proving more of the tactile sensitivity and its uh, role in snake mating. So exciting new avenues to go down, but definitely it's, it's a big question that a lot of people have as well. Okay. Alex? That, that really gets at the, the functional part of it, which like mm. you hypothesize in this paper what the role of these hemiclitories could be, but as you say, without really digging into the neural anatomy you can't you can't say for certain is that right yeah yeah we we would also need some behavioral analyses so seeing if we can actually see certain behaviors being used that are potentially stimulatory to the female um and we see some that we can kind of hypothesize might be might be doing it um such as males wrapping their tail around the female's tail and pulsing and um you know they do chin tapping and rubbing along the spine of the female but whether they're also potentially doing any of that around the tail area where the uh, hemiclitoris would be um but yeah uh, snakes are not always the easiest things to observe their mating behaviors so it's it would be a bit of a challenge but not impossible i guess we know this well (laughs) yeah so I guess there's a fundamental question. Uh, it is it's not how you got involved in this, but what point do you decide that you got to go looking for the the hemiclitoris in snakes? I mean, because is is it because you know they're in other uh, other similar mam- animals, mammals and and repti- and you know other reptiles and so on? So you figure they got to be there somewhere. Let's go look for them. Is that kind of how this, you know, I mean, I'm being kind of base about it, but that, is that kind of how yeah. this, you know, I'm going to call it an adventure, but how does this line of investigation start? Uh, definitely an adventure. Um, I was doing, <laughs> I was actually doing work looking at the vagina morphology with comparative hemi-p morphology um, to try and start looking into lock and key theory. And it was honestly just during um, my first initial 
uh, dissections and whatnot uh, with this in mind and realising I know I've heard a lot of hemipenes, like a lot about hemipenes, starting to learn about vaginas, but what about that other genitalia? There's the female version of the hemipenis, which is the clitoris, and I know it's in a lot of other animals, but why haven't I heard anything in snakes? So that's when I started my literature review and then I got to a point where I was I just needed to go searching myself. So I had a bunch of uh, frozen snakes that I that was given to me by Venom Supplies uh, in, in Tanunda um, and I was keeping them at the South Australian Museum. So I just started dissecting the tails of them um, and I started with the death adder and it's when I came across this structure and started down the histology and DICT uh, path. So Cool. I, as a little aside, um, when I was a PhD student and my advisor was uh, helping me think of potential projects, someone somewhere mentioned hemipenes. And my advisor was like, you should definitely study hemipenes. Like, what's the deal? Why do they look so weird? And uh, are they uh, as good of a um, taxonomic indicator as they've been used as or as, as people think they are? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. And so I did some background research, but I'll just say, like, I, I did not think at all about the female genitalia. And like, it just shows my bias, shows like the kind of one track-mindedness that that I had in that investigation. And that's why I think this study is, again, so cool, because it's like just hiding in plain sight right there if we we only know what to look for. Um, speaking of, other people had thought that they had discovered hemiclitoris in other, in snakes. Um, and, and you talk about this in, in your paper a little bit. Um, can you give us some background? Did they what what did they find and why was it wrong? Yeah. Well, I do also want to backtrack. It's to no fault of yourself because there's uh, in general there's a female uh there's a male genital bias and I think it's you know female genitalia is very taboo and that's not only in science unfortunately, but it's good that we're starting to I mean it's this paper has gone so widespread that now people are thinking about it. Some people are still questioning why it was ever looked into, but um, the general consensus is that people are excited that it was found and that it's, you know, being discussed. But, yeah, the um, previous papers that I looked at, um, a lot of – so there was the one case that they labelled the scent gland – as the hemiclitoris, um, which is fair enough. They're using ultrasound and from uh, you get kind of similar images with CT scanning, uh, less clear in ultrasound, but in CT scanning where depending on the slice where you're at, the scent gland can look like it's separated. So it could have looked like two separate structures and they're labeling the top structures hemiclitoris um, but it was actually a continuation of the scent gland, uh, which was the duct part of it. Um, and then you've you had the quite a few papers that were looking into intersex snakes 
So intersex snakes are uh, snakes that have both female and male sex characteristics. And in this case, we had, well, there were snakes that had oviducts and functional oviducts, which is a really interesting part. And I've been discussing with one of the authors of these papers about how this is possible and we'd, we would like to look into it further. But functional oviducts, and then they presented with the structures of hemipenes. Um, and due to not being able to, you know, identify any other form of genitalia, which was the hemiclitoris, um, that was then labelled as hemiclitoris. Um, and they were labelled as uh, the specimens were called intersex females, which isn't exactly accurate because there's intersex or there's female and male. Um, and then oh, you have... Okay. And then the true females were identified as females without a hemiclitoris, in which we just now know that it was internal. Um, this was the example from Bathrop's Insularis, right, off the coast of Brazil? Is that that was the, the intersex individuals that were identified in that way? Yeah, so um, Bothrops was in quite a few of the papers because Bothrops Insularis and... Um, are a very highly intersex species. That's now quite well known, but due to not being able to really see any other genital structure, they just presumed that these hemipenes in females were the hemiglitoris. And it's to no fault of any researcher because, I mean, if you look at lizards, they also have a vertebral hemiglitoris that are similar to that of the uh, respective hemipenes in that species. So yeah. in which I'm now also thinking about, but I can't get onto lizards at the moment. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to have a question or two about that before we before we go. And I and I had I think I think it's a good question. So we'll absolutely that. But I, I do want to point out that uh, before going any further, that it wasn't you just didn't uh, look at a death adder. You looked at nine species of snakes. Across four families, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read them off here real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, Acanthophis uh, antarcticus, which is the death adder, uh, Achistrodon bilineatus, which is a cantil, uh, Bitis areatans, the puff adder, uh, Helicops polylepis, which is a little uh, South American aquatic snake that uh, I'm quite fond of, uh, Lampropeltis abnorma, uh, and then from the python group we have Morelia, uh, Morelia spilota. Uh, Sudecus caledi, Sudecus uh, wigali, and Sudanaja ingrami. So that's those are the species involved in your study. And you had frozen snakes. These are in all cases were frozen, and th- that's how they came to you. Yeah. So um, from venom supplies, they were immediately put into the uh, freezer once you know pronounced dead. Um, and yeah, they were heavily frozen. So all of all of these except for the the ones um, with the CT images from Michigan, they were they had their own protocol. Uh, I think they were from fresh and preserved. Um, but yeah, all of mine were frozen and then for certain things preserved in different ways. Yeah. Was freezing part of the necessary process in order to fix the tissues for, uh, it for was just, analysis? Uh, it was just a convenient way to have specimens ah, okay. um so we didn't we didn't exactly plan 
for this project. Uh, initially, it was um, I was starting other other research, and Venom Supplies had a lot of frozen snakes. So um, yeah, I was starting. So you to just use- went for it. I did. Yes. Um, <laughs> this gets better and better all the time. Yeah. So nice. it was. Yeah, it was one of those things that I started started questioning it, and I don't like to not know the answer to things. So, yeah, a lot of time into it. So, yeah, we looked at we um, published the findings of nine, but I continue I've continued looking into them. So it's in a a lot more as well. I love it, and the one of the reasons to do this well i should say you ended up finding hemiclitories in all of the species that you examined which the the simplest explanation for that is that the hemiclitories must have been present probably at the base of all snakes or almost to the base i should say um which is over a hundred million years of of snake evolution um which is pretty astounding and so is your thought that it's probably present in all snakes uh, across the world? So far, I've hypothesized that it's present in all snakes. I'm really interested um, what's happening with the intersect snakes, whether there's then testes with the hemiclitoris um, rather than just uh, oviducts with hemipenes. So that would be interesting as well. But I reckon um, so far from what we've gathered, but we've only truly investigated just what well, over nine. Um, so we definitely need a bigger sample size to confirm a hundred percent that it's in all of them, but yeah, sure. we didn't, we didn't get into some, any of the blind snakes or anything. So it's a whole other family to look at. Ah, which, which leads me to, to my thought process too. And you're talking about some of the blind snakes are, are parthenogenetic, mm. right? There's, there's no male. So, um, will the hemiclitoris be present in the parthenogenetic species? And I wonder that in lizards too. Is there a difference in the lizard genitalia for the species that are, are you know, are all female species? Is there a difference there? I wonder if that's a, a line of questioning anybody who's gone down. So that's really interesting. I don't know entirely if they've gone down that path in lizards. They It hasn't gone down it in um snakes just yet but that's really interesting because the blind like for example the uh brimney blind snake that is an all-female population now they used to have males but they realized that it was less energy like expensive um to reproduce by themselves it meant that they had more control of when they're reproducing um and they, there was actually a reduction in genetic diseases and disorders that we were thinking that are coming from the males. So it ended up being a stronger population, mm. um, which is really interesting. So I wonder if I do also wonder if their hemiclitoris have been retained as well, or if they've reduced over time, or whether there's another aspect to snake sex that isn't always male-based. So really interesting. You may need to click the microscope from 5X to 50X for those blind snakes, though. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that will definitely be tough to dissect, like, the around the cloaca of a tiny little blind snake. Ooh. Yeah. 
Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, let's see. I also had um I, I have to bring this up because number one, when this when this paper came out and it started getting some traction in social media and whatnot. And there's lots of lots of jokes and you know lots of comments and and then you know that's that was actually pretty there's some really some funny stuff going on there but mm. at the same time that you know I I start figuring out that that you know the question is why did nobody do this before and there were some assumptions made I think by previous workers and I'm not going to you know, I'm not here to trash anybody or diss anybody but there were assumptions that in uh, in snakes that maybe the the hemiclitoris were um, either vestigial or maybe not present at all. Uh, and if they were present, that their function was to somehow stimulate the male uh, rather than stimulate the female, which I think is the, the purpose of the organ. The main purpose of the organ across many species is to stimulate the female and prepare uh, prepare her for reproduction. But, but it seems like they took a wrong turn there when it, they mm – -hmm started thinking, well, it must be only for stimulation of the male or, or I'm like, well, how do you, how do we end up here? This seems more like a cultural issue. We've alluded to this a little bit. It seems more like a cultural issue or a, a an issue of the times because, you know, obviously uh, we're, we're making some progress here in this regard, but it, it, it just kind of struck me that this is all kind of tied together and why we are just now figuring this stuff out. Mm. So, yeah, there, were, there was one paper that, yeah, suggested that um, the hemiclitoris in snakes are either secondarily lost um, or are residual or, if they do exist, only to increase the pleasure of the male, whether that's unsure of how exactly considering it's in the tail. Uh, it's not like it's in the vaginal cavity and or anything like that. Um but yeah, I definitely think there's misunderstanding that there's not much of a benefit to female pleasure in mating or sex, even if it's not directly linked to just pleasure, but, you know, improving certain stimulation um, in the female that can increase a lot of benefits such as like uh, vagina relaxation and lubrication, which, I mean, you have those big hemipene spines and hooks i mean i would like to think that there's something there to help her with that um but also and it could that be, would seem to tie in with some of the um the pre-coitus uh movements and you know tail yeah. wrapping and things like that is to start stimulating that that would make add add to that making sense right absolutely and I mean, it could be stimulating her oviducts to prepare for either sperm storage or, you know, fertilization. And there's just a lot of reasons why this would be beneficial to her. And, I mean, the male's already got his thing going on. Uh, he, I don't know if he really needs much more motivation um, there. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, that was interesting. I think there's still a, a big misunderstanding of the importance of investigating the female side of things. And, I mean, even up until I think it was 2006, we're still discussing whether the human clitoris still, like, actually properly serves a purpose in our reproduction. So, And that's really not that wow. long ago. 
And there's still, you know, the some of the comments online obviously are quite funny about this, um, but it does get to a point where you're, it's a little bit concerning that people are still really angry that this sort of research is being done because they don't see the benefit in it at all. So interesting. It is interesting. I can't imagine that uh, what, what, how you end up in a place where you, you don't want to know, don't want to learn more. Hmm. Um, I mean, uh, this, just the, the, I, I just look at the, if I, if I, and I don't have to know all of it, but I, I just assume this totality of conversations that have happened across social media about this paper have been just, I am not the only one who went to Wikipedia <laughs> and looked up clitoris. There are a lot of people educated themselves and learned some things, mm -hmm. and it's never wrong to talk about these things. It's to my my mind, it's never wrong to get this get the discussions going because you, you only learn more; you don't learn mm -hmm. less. Absolutely, hard to imagine. It brings up a lot of kind of what I was talking about at the beginning of like, well, if we're missing this, if we're missing this like pretty obvious prominent structure in the base of tails, which people dissect mm -hmm. snake tails regularly like what else are we missing like what else could we be looking at from another perspective that mm. um that would seem really obvious in retrospect but right now we're totally missing like yeah Absolutely. there's a, a lot of reasons well there's definitely looking into this there's definitely some snakes where you dissected them and didn't already know that the structure was present so i was fortunate that in the death adder i could quite clearly see the structure and cantil vipers very prominent but if i had started with some of the other lapids i i may have even missed it myself and uh, patricia brennan said that she's also tried looking for it and you know some of those american snakes i imagine would be not the easiest to dissect and yeah it's sometimes a really fragile small structure so i understand why it could have been missed or misunderstood until now but I think it's good that there's a lot of people now questioning why we're not looking into more of this and why there is this big jump in understanding of why female genitalia, reproduction, all of that is important. And I'm also wondering um, along those lines, the relationship between the structure of the hemiclitoris and the structure of the hemipenes mm -hmm. and is there some sort of correlation because uh, obviously the hemipenes get all the attention because they're just uh they're big they're prominent and they're wacky um spines and all kinds of of uh, protuberances and things like that so i wonder if there's any sort of correlation between their shape and the size uh compared to uh the hemiclitoris is is there something there? Because they vary, like you say, they vary in size. So the the cantiles have have uh, uh, large organs, where you know other species have smaller ones. So I was thinking about this too because you your paper found that vipers tend to have really large hemiclitoris, and vipers also tend to have really spiky um, hemipenes. And so it was just I I was wondering if there was any correlation or connection there as well. Well, we're definitely wondering the same thing, but um, and, like we didn't have hemipenes to directly compare for each species, and 
it was mostly we just wanted to be very hemiclitoris based for this paper anyway and then build on it later um but it's definitely something we want to look into and i think also adding in the comparative um vagina morphology at the same time to try and really get that idea of the three structures working together um and seeing that evolution and seeing if there's correlation but uh the hemi clitoris and the hemi penes develop from the same genital structure as an embryo uh which is why you've both you've got the two so i wouldn't be surprised if there's some form of correlation between size variation there's not really any characteristic similarities because they don't have spines they don't avert they don't all of that and then um erectile tissue structures different um their vascularizations different and nerve structures different so far from what we've seen um but yeah it'll be interesting to see if there's a correlation between the sizes and prominence and yeah maybe how spiny they are compared to the size of the clitoris and yeah i think there's a lot of different comparatives we can make in the future very exciting yeah i'm wondering are we sure that the clitoris as a is an ancient organism has it only evolved once um and i bring this up because i i think about it's snakes because there's you know there's a big difference between uh, the genitalia of snakes and lizards, but the, the rear fanged venom delivery apparatus in snakes has evolved independently many times, uh, not just once. And I'm wondering if you know, we all lump things together, and you know, uh, it's a feature of being an amniote. Uh, but is that is it really? Is it we just lumping these together because it's convenient, or do we know? Uh, you know. Maybe it, maybe it's not even a question that's worth pursuing, but I just wonder about it too because it seems like in snakes they're they're vastly different from their nearest carn apart, which is you know mm. lizards are and snakes are kind of bound together in this you know I don't know evolutionary uh, partnership that goes mm. you know back like hundred million years or whatever. So, well, I think every question's worth looking into considering that's how we get weird things coming up in science it's always worth looking into um yeah i think that's really interesting as well i would definitely like to look into further to see if there's more stages of uh evolution of the hemiclitoris and clitoris among other species but i mean you have the clitoris that is internal external so far in the tail um so i think we're seeing already that there's a lot of evolution to this structure. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what's happening in the snakes as well. Um, I was wondering if you could help us out with a more kind of practical issue. If we had a snake in our hands, is there a way to find or visualize the hemiclitoris uh, externally? Um, so our friend Emily Taylor posted a photo and said that you could see them, that she had a rattlesnake tubed and um, kind of opened, pushed, what did you say, posteriorly on the cloaca to kind of evert hemipenes if they were there, but they weren't there. And she mm. said you could see the kind of um, bulges of the hemiclitoris uh, posteriorly on the cloaca. Are there 
other good markings that you can look for either on a snake or on lizards to, to find this from the exterior? I saw that photo as well and it really intrigued me. Um, I saw it after publishing, um, but we've, we've been chatting with her as, as well. Um, and thank you to her. She's sending us some snakes that's meeting me in America in about a week. Um, I leave tomorrow awesome. for that. Awesome. <laughs> I know, never, never stop moving. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I am very intrigued with that. I've always accessed it through dissection, and some of them I imagine that maybe you could pull that kind of skin down and maybe you might see, because um, I saw the two little almost like knobs um, on the hemiclitoris in the rattlesnakes that she was looking at. Yeah. I am very intrigued by that myself. So, yeah, I don't know. I would be interested whether these were alive snakes or, yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely worth looking into. But from if you're just holding a snake and trying to look, I don't, you wouldn't really see anything unless hemipenes are poking out and then you know it's male. But, yeah. <laughs> right. And the same is true, I believe, for, for lizards, even though the lizard – hemiclitoris can actually be averted. I know oh. I've probably, I've tried to avert hemipenes on hundreds of lizards by now and have never, to my knowledge, accidentally averted um, hemiclitoris. But um, mm. I think, I, I do remember kind of paired um, hole openings on mm. uh, on females that that confused me. And I was like, and I was like, right, am I just doing a bad job and not averting them fully? Or like, maybe I'm just, I've got everything wrong about sexing lizards. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, do you know anything about averting hemiclitoris on female lizards? I have not tried to avert hemiclitoris on lizards. Um, I know that people have because I've seen pictures of them. But yeah, I, I, I mostly have averted hemipenes in snakes through like slight dissection and then filling right. them up with um, water or other other liquids. Um, or if they've already averted prior to death, then that's a little bit easier because you just pump them up. Um, yeah, it's, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, lizards, li lizard hemicleros are an interesting one and I haven't, I'm only really read about lizards. I haven't started dissecting or um, interfering with them yet. Still very new to herptology. You made quite a splash. Well, you with picked it. <laughs> I was going to say you picked a good place to start. Yeah. No, no. I'm just thinking about all the all the textbooks that are out of date that <laughs> need to be updated with with proper uh, proper diagrams. Mm. Well, someone's about to about to update a herp. A hurt book, and then um, they emailed me saying that they'll uh, wanted to include um, this paper. So that's very exciting. So nice. new stuff is coming out. Yeah, that's awesome. You're already in the canon of herpetology. That's great. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I I can only assume that you've had a lot of people reaching out to you, which mm. um, media sources and and. Uh, uh, other herpetologists and other biologists as well. And so uh, I do want to say I'm grateful that you've 
responded back to us and Absolutely. came on the show. So I know I know there's a, a lot going on with this, and so I, I appreciate it. Um, Alex, what else have you got that that's on your mind? That that was my last question, the one about like trying to look for the hemiplutories externally. Um, this is it, it's an honor and and just a really cool paper. Again, um, what about you, Mike? Do you have any any other questions on your list? Um, I think you covered all the ones that I had. I, I'm just I'm kind of just a I'm still amazed by the fact that it's 2020, almost 2023, and we're finally getting around to this. I think that's that's kind of an amazing thing. But I I'm glad uh, I'm glad we're talking about it, and I'm glad that people are are discussing this across social media. I think that's a good thing. Um, and I, also, you know, I um, the intersex thing is also interesting because. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that seems to show up in a number of organisms, and it doesn't seem to get talked about very much. And I guess there's different types of intersex uh, arrangements a- across the animal kingdom. And um, I think if if I wanted, you know, people are like, "What's intersex?" And I'm like, I think what if you would define intersex, it's uh, organisms that have both male and female characteristics in some way, form or another. Mm. Is that a correct? Yeah. The way of saying that. Absolutely. There's so many different types, but uh, yeah, that's the generalized definition of intersex. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, when you're talking about the Bothrops species that had function or we assume functional oviducts, mm. is, does that mean that that animal could reproduce? Yeah. So how do we, how do we test for that? You know, we have to get, you have to maintain a colony of these animals and you have to find one as well. That I mean, this seems like a big, that seems like a, a really large endeavor in terms of securing specimens. Uh, and in, yeah, you're maintaining live venomous animals. So that's another uh, can of worms in itself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So how do you, you know, how do you make these things, how do you test these hypotheses without, you know, going overboard? It seems like a big, a big problem. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty certain that some of the papers found that the uh, when they said that they were reproductive, they had actually produced young um, and had these hemipenes and functional oviducts. So some of them had eggs still in them. Some of them had actually produced okay. young, um, which is incredible. That baffled me a lot. But, I mean, you look into, I, I think nothing is straightforward with snakes. They asexually reproduce. They can also sexually reproduce. They can swap back and forth. They can store sperm. They can have a multiple paternity clutch, so multiple fathers to siblings all in the same clutch. It's nothing as straightforward with them. So a lot, which just means there's a lot to learn and a lot to understand about their sexuality and all of that. There's nothing straightforward. So it's good. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think you see a path in front of you. Oh yeah, <laughs> I see about options. twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Mike, uh, this paper spurred me to to look into that Bothrops and Solaris story a little bit more, mm-hmm. and I noticed that the earliest citation um, that that Megan had in her paper 
about is called Sexual Abnormalities in Bathrops and Sularis. It was published in 1959 by um, by a bunch of uh, authors in Brazil. And so like these intersex individuals have been known for a really, really long time. And mm -hmm. people have been postulating. So Bathrops and Sularis is only known from Queimada Granji off the coast of Sao Paulo. And and people were thinking that because this is an insular species, maybe there's low uh, amounts of genetic diversity and that um, this was a result of inbreeding or some other mm -hmm. um, due to a lack of genetic variation, essentially. Um, but but these intersex individuals have been known for like, what are we like 70 years now? That was that was astounding. Yeah. And this was absolutely the first I had ever heard of it. It was yeah, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. 1959, huh? Yep. Uh, okay. I was born in 58, so. <laughs> so we'll say it's 63 years old, go. Right. Oh, so. thanks. I did the math wrong. <laughs> 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 oh. Yeah, that really interested anyway. me as well. And I like, as well as obviously realizing that female gentile was understudied intersex just hasn't gotten enough light for the truly remarkable instance that it is like it's amazing they're reproductive they're they've got both genitalia let's look into it that's yeah yeah very more questions yeah yeah is there is there i know alex you've you've got you're kind of on a deadline here but uh uh, is there anything else that you want to that we haven't talked about, uh, Megan? That, that you would like to us to to bring up? Um, I think it's pretty well all covered, really. Yeah, it's been a great chat. Yeah, I, I agree, and we're I know Alex is he, he's got a big grin on his face, and he's very <laughs> happy about this, as am I. Uh, but it sounds like you've got some plans for the future for future research. You've got uh, you can just keep building on these this whole mm. premise for. As long as you want, I expect. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so many questions. I kept trying to add it to my PhD, which was only supposed to be three chapters, and so far I've done two. Um, but I think it's about seven chapters at this stage, and I need to rein it in. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I want to do it all right now. Yeah. I did the same thing in my honors. It was supposed to be one project, and I ended up doing four. So, I yeah. I need to stop doing nice. it. I'm tired. <laughs> okay. Take a break. Come to the United States and visit with Emily. And then, uh, Absolutely. then get back to it. I'm sure she'll have many good ideas for you too. Yeah. Yeah. She already a great start. Okay. Well, I, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Um, it was, it's great to get to know you and to talk to you and, um, I wish you well for the future and all your, if maybe when you, the next time you hit make a big splash, we'll have you back on the show <laughs> and you can talk about that too. That'll be great. We can chat about the nerves, hopefully. Oh, I want to know more about that. And yes. And Alex I. is nodding his head. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. This was really fun. Thanks for, for coming on and chatting with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey there, me again. I just want to say thank you to Megan Falwell for chatting with us. And I also want to say congratulations to Megan and her co-authors, Kate Sanders, Patricia Brennan, and Jenna Crow-Riddell. 
It's a fantastic paper, and I know there is more to follow on the subject in the future. So once again, the title of the paper is First Evidence of Hemiclitoris in Snakes, published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society. And I'm not sure if it's open source, but as always, you're welcome to contact me, and I will send you the PDF. And as always, I want to thank Dr. Alex Crone for his input and enthusiasm, and for his friendship, of course. So this show is Alex's brainchild, and I'm so happy we get to do this. Even though sometimes I have to do a lot of heavy thinking, but you know, for me, that's a good thing. So Happy New Year to you and your family, Alex. And thanks, folks, for listening, and we hope you like the show. That's it for episode 76. I want to thank Megan Falwell for coming on the show, and best of luck with your PhD in future studies. And thanks as always to Dr. Alex Crone, who makes these Herb Science Sunday shows possible. And I want to say thanks to all of the So Much Pingle patrons who keep the show rolling on into the future. And if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the show, it's really easy to do and it costs about as much as a cup of delicious coffee. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much And you can join the so much pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. I really do like hearing from people. I like to hear your thoughts, opinions, guest suggestions, whatever you got. Uh, you can email me at so much pingle at gmail.com, and so much pingle is all one word. And please note that I am on Instagram. I've been there for a long time now, but I'm also on post.news and Mastodon now under the So Much Pingle handle. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.